0: Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's book. Welcome back to this week's episode. In this week's episode, we will be going through three different chapters uh chapter 39 redemption chapter 40 camping and chapter 41 we were scientists once uh if that concept is like a little odd you know chapter 39 well if this is your first time encountering this podcast that might be why this is a serial podcast where i chris pullman am reading to you my audience in case you didn't know who you were i'm i'm the guy reading you're the audience anyway um, you know i'm reading chapters to you from my first novel mystery and deceit from earth to mars so if you've not listened to any of the other episodes of this podcast if this is your first time here i would suggest to you that you should go back and get the other episodes of the podcast not just because i think you know my voice sounds awesome I'm not that self-possessed, but it, it would be good for you to have a grounding in the rest of the book before you listen to these chapters, because they are, they all build on each other like a book would. If you would like to do that, you can head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast application and search for me, Chris Pullman, or for this podcast, Chris Reads Book and you should be able to find it and subscribe to the feed. If you search for me, you might also find another podcast that I'm doing with my mother-in-law, Whiskey and Mash. That's where we watch episodes of the TV show Mash and review them while drinking some whiskey beverages. Uh, Check that out if you so care to. I think it's a pretty good podcast so far. If, after listening to this podcast, you feel like you want to talk to me, you want to send a message to me, or you want to join up with me on my social media, head over to narclaninc.com. That's my website. It's not a clan. It's not an incorporation. That's just the website name that I picked up because I thought it sounded cool. Or you can email me at book at That will come to me. If I get enough of those, I will do a whole uh, episode on like a mailbag episode and answer your questions. But, that all being said, why don't we go ahead and get right to this week's episode. Chapter 39. Redemption? What about redemption? Pardon me? Eric replied. What about redemption, Eric? I asked again. Redemption. A young man's fallacy. No, I know better. The years I've been alive, and the lives I've lived... There is no such thing as redemption, Eric replied. You don't believe in balancing the scales, then? I asked Eric. No, James, I do not. But let me guess. You do. You do because of all the hollow vids you've seen, and you're probably a fan of the ones from the States. Of course you are, because you have some half brain notion that the good guys always come out on top. Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes the darkness is just too pervasive for any light. I've seen that, Eric stated. How can you say that? You fought against those that considered themselves part of the rising darkness, I replied. I also have memories of people from both sides, from both before and after the war. I know the mind of evil, what it's capable of. It's a dark place, Eric. His gaze drifted off, as it so often had during our interviews, as if to some place deep within him. Where do you go at times like this? I asked after a moment or two. When you get that stare about you. I go to a place of memory. He said, slipping into the multi-seeming voice of the chorus. A place of turbulence and conflict, where the different voices within me cry out to be heard and used. Their cries eliciting memories that seem as real to me as my own. I waited a second or three, hoping he would quickly come back from his reverie. At previous times in our conversations, I had to take breaks, not for my own sake, but for his, as he, in his own words, regained himself. This time was different. Pensively, I broached. What else, this time? He looked at me, and threw me all at once, with eyes that were simultaneously clear and murky. Knowing and confused, young and old. Eric? You ask questions, he, he said. said. He said in a voice quite different, quite clearly not his own. This seemed definitely to be of the multitude, as if thousands were speaking the same words in unison, more yet than any time previous. Such questions, I hear them as if from afar. How long? Came the words now, raspy and longing. How long since I was asked a question? How long since I've seen anyone? Confusion now, his eyes still not comprehending my form before him. You. We need to tell you... about... something." "'Eric,' I began. "'Eric, we know this name. Is it ours?' he said questioningly, though to himself. "'What do you mean by ours, Eric? Are you all right?' I asked. This was the level of confused distance I had not yet seen present in Eric. He looked at me with eyes that held both profound questioning and childlike innocence. His face literally seemed to ripple for a moment. Then he slowly leaned forward, placing his own face within inches of mine. His gaze shifted from first my left eye to my right, then back again, as if searching for something, as if probing my being, believing some deeper truth to be hidden there. You're You're not not one one of us. us are you he said without questioning we are alone we are the last one suddenly clarity and youth snapped into eric's face again he grabbed my face with a vice-like grip that i was sure would crush my head completely (laughs) you're hurting me i muttered painfully you wondered what was inside my head what i was thinking he said, his voice now confident and clear. How I thought, if I was being honest, whether or not I was crazy. Right now you're afraid for your life. You feel as if your life is at its end, this crazed man holding it in his hands. I suddenly felt something cold creeping across my face from Eric's fingers. Your life is not over, but your questions are about to be answered. His gaze locked me solidly in place. My hands were frozen on his forearms where I had put them as he suddenly grasped my face. The cold continued to spread even as everything seemed to slow down. I was aware from out of my peripheral vision that the breeze that had been constant but fair now waved the trees in slow motion, their movements, a sort of green ballet. A faint breeze from the air handlers in Eric's house gently lifted a few loose strands of hair across his forehead. The cold had crept all across my body and down into my lungs. I couldn't breathe! Then everything seemed to stop. No movement. My mind blinked even though my body couldn't. A sudden lack of everything enveloped my mind. But only for an instant. Flashes of thought and meaning enveloped me, filling what passed from my consciousness. Images, memories, events, and conversations swirled around me. Words were pictures, family gatherings, sweet songs. Woes found their places, daffodils in the field of forgotten wounds. Even in the best and happiest memories, darkness lurked in the bright shadows. Pictures kept watch over memories of sweet roles. Pain, so much pain, anger, misunderstanding. They all rushed at me, overwhelmed me like a carpet beneath my feet. Too much information! <laughs> This is what it's always been like for me. Loomed a something, both voice and nothing. This is my our mind memories. Sang a chorus of trees, so many in splendid green autumnal death. But I can clarify it. Mellowed a light prick ahead of me, behind me. Suddenly I was standing on earth. Three times as tall as it was, pole to pole, it spun beneath me. Orbiting me stood Eric, facing me as he went. All around me on the planets and stars stood others, each beyond my ability to see, yet perfectly clear to my eyes. What is this? I asked both aloud and in complete silence. A construct, they all ran out. For your benefit and ours. Teddy rang out a single star from the edge. You have no business in this place of Gods? Pay no attention to him, said Jupiter. Chaos is there for a reason, where there are none around him. Chaos? I queried Jupiter. Yes, the Destroyer, destroyer chimed the chorus of stars through Jupiter. The bringer of darkness, (laughs) shouted Chaos in a cackle that echoed through the void. The stars dimmed and the planets shrank. Jupiter and Mars, though, glowed the brighter. Thus did the stars and planets return to their normal splendor. Eric, please! I tried, looking over my shoulder and directly ahead, both at the same time as Eric continued his orbit around me. This is my mind, as simple as I can render it. Each planet, each star is a person. Each solar system, a cluster of memories, each cluster linked by the motion of this entire mind-verse. There are so many stars, so many planets, I marveled as I looked about. Eric's words rang so true I could not help but believe them. As there are of us, they replied to me. Why do you show this to me? What purpose does it serve, I asked of them. To warn you of the things to come, they said to me. We tried our best, yet failed, intoned Mars, yet facing the Dark Star. To throw aside the veil in time, completed Eric. Yet they failed, the Dark Star both mocked and cackled. They failed, as they have failed before. We did not fail before, said the God of Gods and the God of War. We stopped you, didn't we? Their voices, ringing through the void, were neither harsh nor loud, but instead firm and confident and softly sweet. Hearing them brought warmth and understanding in order. "'But it took you both before. (laughs) Now only this decrepit old moon is left, and he flees the coming night.' (laughs) "'I do that,' Eric replied, even as an eclipse started to cross his face. "'He is not at fault.' The gods chimed. "'For if he is, we all are,' glowed the chorus. "'No more at fault than you, James,' Eric said, his face blackened by the eclipse. "'This shadow shall not pass from my face for some time.' "'It is not your fault, nor your fight,' said Jupiter, "'not yours.' "'Our failure will end when the sun rises again.' chimed the verse, save the dark star that began to flicker and fade as the sun brightened. Who are these people, Eric? I asked the void. I could no longer find the moon. We are are the the voices of the past, past, sang the chorus of stars and planets. We are the forebearers, the fighters, and the guardians. We are those because of whom you live. We are the past, said Mars and Jupiter. We are the future, echoed the voice of the dark star now gone from sight. We are family, came two voices somehow familiar. Suddenly a flash of light engulfed the verse once again thought and reality twisted around me, sand in a blender, snow falling from a high grill, pancakes being made from yarn and cement from oatmeal. a cacophony of images sped past me too quickly to hear images so familiar and so strange a multitude of memories that were at once so alien and known flew past my fingertips. I knew if I reached out and caught one by its tail, it would sing a song so sweet that my soul itself would learn its meaning, but my fingers couldn't see the memories flying by to grasp them. The chalkboard before me, full of ever-changing pictures made of a rainbow was being changed and erased all at once. My mind was overwhelmed. Was I thinking? Was I someone else's thought? If I was someone else's thought and not my own, how could I be aware of it? The flash sublimated to ice. I was awake. I found myself staring into Eric's eyes once more, his hands gently cradling my face before falling away completely. Now I, too, see both my path and yours he said. A tear fell from his face, his voice his own. It still dripped with sorrow. He fell back in his chair and turned away from me, looking out the window. He pulled his sweater tighter around him. I could see him suffering silently, his demeanor no longer that of a confident man, that which I had spent the last few days talking to. Who were Mars and Jupiter, I asked. Does it matter? he replied. They stood against the dark star. They seemed to understand what was going on. (laughs) They always did. Eric sniffed and wiped a tear from his face, passing into quiet meditation. I waited several moments, hoping Eric would again turn back from his self-contemplation. But he did not. I came over and once more took his empty glass, going into the kitchen so that he could be alone with his thoughts and I with mine. I filled both our glasses and took a seat at his kitchen table, setting his glass down, audibly, across from mine. He would hear it and know I was waiting here for him when he was ready. I had done so before. Looking out the window, his small grove of trees triggered me to my own reverie. I closed my eyes, meaning to do my best to recall what I had just been through at the literal hands of Eric Pullman. Instead I found myself in my mental control room. Long before that day, during sleepless nights, I had built a domed space in my mind. To the front was a viewscreen, to the back a door to my personal pit of retired regrets. From the central chair where I was seated I could access any information my mind possessed, calling it up before me. In this exact moment, though, a curious image played itself on the view screen. I knew instantly that it was there not because of, but in spite of my personal volition. It was me in triplicate an exterior view, an exploded anatomical view, and a skeletal view augmented with what appeared to be a nervous system. All three slowly rotated laterally through 360 degrees. Sections of each image flashed yellow or red. Only a few flashed green, those concentrated around my brain and upper spinal cord. I heard something within my mind space then. A skittering. I turned right in the chair and found a new addition to the dome space. A small forest field-protected archway. Coming toward me from it was some sort of creature. I suddenly panicked. And it stopped. It lowered itself almost completely to the ground and seemed to exude some sort of bass-sonic sound which had a calming effect. Rising, I slowly walked toward the creature. It remained crouched until I knelt beside it. No larger than a small dog or adult cat, it stood on six legs. Its body was flat, most closely resembling some sort of thick tablet. All over its form were very tiny, fine hairs that appeared to move in some sort of breeze. Without fear, I reached out a hand toward it. In a very human expression, it lifted its right part up, a sort of eyebrow raise of curiosity. I stalled my movement, offering it the back of my hand as I would a dog or cat. It came forward, using its front two legs to feel my hand. The hairs on its body were also there on its legs. I could feel them waving over every cell of my offered hand. Seeming to be satisfied, the thing came next to me standing there as would a dog prepared for a walk. Sensing our introduction was over, I rose and went back to my chair. It followed, taking up a position between me and the view screen. Once it had settled there, it began pointing with one leg or the other at the screen. As it did so, the images of me began to rotate differently. It was as if this creature were now controlling what I saw. What are you? I asked it. It stood on those legs I had taken for its front two. Folding two more of its arms inward toward me, it turned to open itself from me toward the screen. Pointing with what now seemed an arm, it emitted a mechanical computer like sound. It turned back toward me, an odd movement, as I could now see that its back and front were indistinguishable as were its top and bottom. I don't understand, I replied. You're that? I asked, pointing at the screen. It somehow managed a gesture reminiscent of a nod as it replied, again, in its mechanical computer voice. It had said change. I I had understood it. You said change. Change what? I asked. He replied, turning and pointing at the screen as my exterior view was magnified until only my face showed on the screen. A new image was overlaid on the screen, one of the creature. Me. And you. You're changing me. And you. It made the nodding-like gesture again before turning fully to the screen, waving what were now arms toward each other. The image of it shrank away toward the exploded view of me as the exterior view of my body slowly zoomed back to what it had been. It chirped at the screen. I felt a tingle along my lower back as the section represented on the view screen changed from flashing yellow-red to yellow-green before becoming a solid green. The tingling went away its place was a very strange feeling of well-being. My lower back had bothered me nearly all of my adult life. My chiropractor had told me, that's just how you were built. Nothing wrong, really. It's something we could control and mitigate. Now, even from within my mind, I could tell that it felt better. The creature turned back to me, giving me a gesture faintly reminiscent of... See? It flopped what appeared to be backward onto all six legs again, its front two once more motioning toward the screen. I watched it a bit longer, thinking that it seemed to grow ever so slightly. More areas of my body's projection were turning green. I closed my mental eyes and opened them to find myself still staring at Eric's trees. Returning my attention back inside the house, I realized Eric was now sitting across from me. It's different from everyone, how it's experienced. Come, let's return to the living room. We have more to discuss, and my time here grows preciously short. As he began to get up I reached across the table and grasped his left arm, halting the movement. I wasn't sure what I was about to say, though I was confident in the yet confident in the yet to form words. You did it, didn't you? I asked. Mirthlessly, Eric replied. Yes. The way you had described it... I didn't think it could be done like that, I said. It couldn't be. 500 years ago, he replied. Why did you do it, I asked, needing to know. To prepare you for what happens next. I had a new awareness that the answer to my unasked question, what's next, already existed. That I only needed to reach out and grasp the answer. It's happening so fast, I said. Part of the advance I made. You're truly beginning to understand now. That's good. But even so, we have to complete our parts in this play. Certain events cannot be changed or avoided, he said. I released his arm. He looked at me for a moment longer with a simple stare. And it wasn't empathy so much as the knowledge of comprehension, not pity, but a sense of brotherhood. Grasping his glass of water, he rose and slowly trudged off toward his living room. In case I forget to tell you later, in the leftmost cookie jar I've left something for you. You'll know what it's for when the time comes. As he passed the threshold of the the kitchen's archway, my mind, calm, one word brought itself sharply into focus in my consciousness. Nanites. Chapter 40. Camping. Why do you keep staring up at the sky, dude? Even though his slight rum-induced haze was obscuring his mind, Eric knew James was talking to him. Still staring starward, Eric said, I don't know guys just caught my attention tonight, is all. The rum haze felt a bit better now. Eric had stopped drinking a few minutes prior. He still needed to slow down some. "'Where are you looking, anyway?' James asked after a sip. Eric pointed with his free hand. "'Like that helps.' Eric smiled, lowering his arm. "'Mars,' he said. It was one of those few nights when the red planet was visible if you knew where to look. Eric lowered his gaze to see both Adam and James, staring up at it now. It does look quite beautiful tonight, James said, sipping his drink. The fire crackled loudly as the log collapsed, sending a shower of embers skyward. They danced in the rising smoke like fairies. You suppose we'll ever go there? Eric asked. What, you mean us-us? James asked. Furrowing his brow, Adam said, Nah, not us. I sincerely doubt any of us will ever personally go there. Adam paused, nodded, and haphazardly brought his cup up for a sip. You're drunk man, Eric said with a chuckle. I swear to drunk, I'm not God, Adam replied. James gave a few nose chuckles first, causing Eric to chortle. Quickly, they all found themselves laughing so hard they were crying. As the laughter tapered off, and Eric wiped the tears from his eyes, James said, Dudes, is it worth it? What? Eric began, a last chuckle escaping him. Is what worth it? The time we're spending in school. I mean, two years into my master's, and at times I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels. James replied. Oh, shut up already, Adam said. One of, of, of the three of us, you have the least room to complain. What, what with getting your research published. You're going to be able to handpick your doctorate institution with the impact that article had. No one ever caught that gene variation. We'll save lots of lives all over the world. I know it was good, James said. Eric snorted into his water. Adam was right. James' article was rapidly changing the field of cardiac health and all because of a sleeper gene found specifically in cardiac cells. I just know if this is really the direction I want to take life that it needs careful consideration, James finished. Pass the rump? Handing him the handle, Eric said, "'Dude, poor time to be second-guessing. "'A year out of finishing your MS "'is not the time to question your journey.'" "'Nah, I'm not questioning the journey,' James said, "'measuring the rum pour through the cup "'by the light of the fire. "'I'm questioning the goal.'" "'Goal? You mean a doctorate?' Eric asked. "'Yeah, don't know if I really want to take it that far.'" James replied. Eric's mind, sluggish as it was, raced a thought to the fore. How are things going with Mel? James rolled the cup between his hands, leaning forward, as he stared into the fire. They've been better. He brought the cup up and sipped at it gingerly. I'm not giving her enough attention lately. Did you say that, Adam? Slurred. No. James replied, shaking his head. I've asked her. She says she understands that I'm busy and focused. So what's the problem, then? Eric asked. Still staring into the fire, James said, It's my problem. She's better than me, and I don't deserve her. Well, you're right there. (laughs) Adam chuckled. James smiled. She's working on her own degree just as hard as I am. Harder, in fact. You guys know I've always had a really easy time in school. She hasn't. She does her best, but struggles. I do what I can to help, but since our foci are so different, he said, trailing off and shrugging. Even so, she still makes time for me whenever I need her to. But lately I just haven't made the time for her. It's not right. Not just, James said. Hey, dude, Eric said as he leaned toward James, grasping his right bicep. It's okay. Like you say, she knows you're busy. You've got a lot going for you right now that you need to tend to. Turning his eyes to meet Eric's, he said, Yeah, but shouldn't she be the most important priority in my life? Eric let go of his arm, seeing his point. In 20 years, when someone else had topped his research, she would still be there. Adam shifted his chair around the fire as the winds coming through the trees changed direction, blowing the smoke right into his face. Coughing as he set his chair down, he said, You know, you're both right here. I mean, she's got to understand how it is. She's in the same boat as us, but I mean, come on. You, You can't be ignoring her that bad. James was again staring at the fire. He picked up his walking stick from earlier in the day and poked at it. I'm sure she still loves me, and I know I still love her. I just think it's unfair to expect her to wait for me, is all. Is her life on hold? Eric asked, likewise staring at the fire where James was prodding. More embers floated skyward dancing as they went. Eric felt James's attention, turned slightly toward him, even as James kept his gaze on the fire. What do you mean? You said you felt it was unfair to make her wait. Eric's mind made a jump of logic. That only happened when he was drinking. Is she putting her life on hold to wait for you to catch up or something? I mean, the way you say it, it's like she's waiting at the train station for you to come home. Like Greenslert over there. She's a grad student too. She gets it. And what if she's feeling the same way as you? You two are so damn similar at times it wouldn't surprise me if she felt she was neglecting you and, as such, was dropping whatever she had planned for you out of some misplaced sense of guilt. James's fire poking stopped. Eric looked his way to see him looking back at Eric out of the corner of his eyes. You're not so think as I dumb you are, are you? James asked with a smile. Adam, breaking the discovery-like mood, said, Fire looks low to you, fire looks low to me. He staggered up, slowly and carefully jerked his way through a half-turn to set his drink on his chair, spilling it as he turned back around and headed over toward the woodpile. Taking up a split log, he made his way back to his chair, stood, assessing the fire, took a half-step forward and dropped the log into it from extended arms. Sparks exploded outward. James and Eric recoiled, shielding their faces as Adam stood and chuckled, saying, Kaboom! (laughs) Jerk! James laughed. Cut him off, Eric added, chuckling. More rum! I need more rum! was his only reply, holding up his spilt and empty cup. As he refilled his glass, I turned toward James. Look, all I'm saying is that if you haven't, you should talk to Mel. I'd be willing to bet that what you're feeling, she is too. Eric, uh, pardon, James nodded in agreement. Adam noisily and squishily plopped back down into his chair. Why is my butt wet? Why are you fixated on Mars tonight, dude? Adam, as ever, famously kept alive the most remote and obscure topic threads of the night. There was no point in pointing it out to him. best they could do was let his focus run its course. Eric shrugged, saying, Because it's there. Last few times it should have been visible. I either couldn't get outside or it was cloudy. What I wouldn't give to see that planet in detail... You must have looked at topographic shots of its surface, James said. Of course, but to actually see the surface with my own eyes. Eric's gaze drifted back skyward to the small red orb that was Mars. "Gotta tell you," Adam chimed in, "ain't ain't gonna happen. I've I've been working on a few projects geared toward that sort of travel and exploration. Not enough interest to earn the funds." environments too harsh journey too long supplies will cost too darn much do we have the necessary transport tech sure can we guarantee the rest the stuff won't break down on route or once it's there not reliably and that's the problem we've to send redundant parts twice as much to make sure to work out okie dokie i mean Last place you'd want to be up a creek without a paddle, smashed away on Mars. Forget that noise. It cost too darn much. Adam stopped just that abruptly, staring off into the forest. He took a swallow from his cup and added, "Anyway, what will be the point? We went to the moon. Ooh, haven't been back since. It's a big, spheroid ball of rock in space." Nothing special there, and the only diff was that Mars' is red instead of gray. Still be nice, Eric said. James grunted his agreement. The log Adam had dropped into the fire came to life, sending plumes of light along the undersides of the surrounding trees. Eric looked up at them then, a sight that reminded him of so many other campfires they had shared. And remembering them, his age suddenly caught up with him. You realize we're closing in on 30? No, we're not. You're just turning 25, James said. Still yet. Where'd all the years go? Wasn't it just yesterday we were in high school? Eric asked. Sure feels that way, Adam agreed. It's not going to slow down, you know, James added. Do tell, Eric said. We're on track now. Every day that passes, we are more and more cementing ourselves into specific futures. Time for us is an isosceles triangle, us moving from base to top. You're saying we're trapped? Eric asked. I'm saying we're tracked. There's a difference. Trapped means you've come to be somewhere, or in some position against your own accord. Being tracked implies that you had some say in the path you took. Also means there's a direction rather than a dead end. A destination, perhaps multiple ones, James replied. So more than one way, more than one path to follow, Eric asked. Yeah, James said. Then, Eric said, don't you think there's got to be one where you and Mel can both pursue your dreams rather than one of you having to give up theirs? It was a pointed comment, but James smiled. Probably. Probably. I think I'll have to talk to her to figure out what path that might be, though. That's a great idea, James said. Pardon me, Adam said. We really need to cut him off, Eric said at James. Why? He only gets more entertaining, James replied. Why are you guys moving in fast forward, Adam said glaringly. Then again, James said, getting up and moving to stand over Adam. Look upward, he said to Adam, setting down his drink as he took out a pocket flashlight. Hey, that's a flashlight, Adam said, setting his drink down before trying to reach up for the flashlight. James easily deflected his drunken attempts. Bad people reaction, you're going to hate yourself tomorrow morning, no matter what you do rest of the night, James told Adam. Oh, please, I hate myself already. Mine's already knowing what it'll feel like, Adam slurred. Why do you keep doing this to yourself? Eric asked Adam. Let less, mm, less me not think, he said as James put away the flashlight. Shaking his head, Eric said, you gotta grow out of this phase, or else you'll kill yourself, dude. Way out, Adam replied. Eric quickly went over, spilled his cup into the fire, and refilled it with water. Hey! You'll be better off. Drink. Then another, Eric said. Adam sipped it, looked up, and said, Why's the rum gone? And take these. James said, handing Adam two ovular pills and a three-ounce energy shot. The pills are pre-trial. Boost liver and kidney functions temporarily to add in your body's breakdown of toxins. Energy shot will help replace your electrolytes. You guys really worried about me, huh? Adam asked. Of course, brothers from different mothers, man. Closer than blood, Eric said. For real. Now down the hatch, James added, tapping the hand with the pills and energy shot. They ended up staying up until 3 a.m. as Adams slowly sobered. None of them got up very early the next day. Their bodies didn't like staying up so late anymore. Just one more sign that they weren't as young as they had once been. But it was a night well spent. The sort they were used to and enjoyed. Chapter 41 We were scientists once, and young. You see, James, the difference was that we were scientists first. Meng and his people were soldiers first. That isn't to say we didn't both hold to the same morals. Our primary foci were simply different, Eric said to me. Elucidate, please, I replied. We were more interested in discovery and the finding out of things. Meng always pushed the practical application. Don't get me wrong, it was needed. We wouldn't have ever gotten involved without Meng pushing us. Then again, Eric peered into the distance. Perhaps we wouldn't have been needed had we not been pushed. But there were so many decisions that could have gone this way or that. In many ways, I suppose, Everything stems from Project Plymouth. Had we never started on the idea of nanites in the first place, humanity wouldn't be where it is today. If it hadn't been all of you, certainly it would have been someone else, I said. Eric smiled. There is truth in that, of course. Perhaps then, if we'd been more particular about the programming limits we'd imposed on the nanites if we hadn't made them so self-sufficiently capable. Eric knew the argument was as invalid as his last, as did I. Cast would still come about as surely as sunrise follows evening. Only the time between would have changed. Or maybe if we'd improved the resilience of the host against the pitfalls of symbiosis and the inherent weakness that have cropped up. How could you have known? I asked. Nodding in silent agreement, Eric simply stroked his chin. You've even admitted that the future was in such a stage of flux that you couldn't have predicted which path it would take. Still, Eric commented, we could have put stricter safeguards against some of the things chaos perverted. Hive consciousness, collective knowledge, and inheritance postmortem. The three necrotic pillars of unit collapse, if nothing else. Unit collapse? I asked. Looking at me through eyes laden with an unnaturally heavy burden, Eric said, Going insane. The human mind was built for a single consciousness. When you add information from too many other minds, the brain simply can't deal with it. Then what about you? I asked. Why do you think I act so weird sometimes? It's only been getting worse lately. No, Eric said. I've made it this long by the grace of some higher power. But I am the last for that very reason. I was the toughest mentally. I'm still a bit confused, though. If Chaos did that reprogramming to his own nanites, his own nanitics, how did it make its way into the TDF, I asked by mistake. Chaos always had his spies in our ranks, though we could never crack his, as, thanks to his hive-mind programming, he could tell instantly if somebody wasn't part of his network, Eric replied. So why not send in an operative and have them fully join up, I asked. We tried that. Thing was, Chaos kept a sort of network administrative control over everyone. Once they were part of his hive mind network, he could literally plant thoughts in a person's mind. After a person joined his network as a spy, he simply peered into their minds when they weren't paying attention and planted the thought that they had already turned. Thus it was done, Eric said. But how does that explain how the programming infected the TDF, I asked. One of his hours turn deletes was captured. While we were treating some of Jessica's wounds, she allowed her nanites to resync with our central hive, Eric replied. I thought you said you and James didn't program a hive mind, I asked. We didn't. But everyone in the TDF was still loosely tied together by a central hive in case we had to update the nanitic base code. She tapped into that and suddenly we were all on the same network. Hive minded all, Eric stated. Couldn't you have simply reprogrammed the nanites to remove the intrusive code? I asked. We tried, but Chaos had such control at that point that he simply resynced and kept the code in place. So, how, when he had such power over everyone, did you defeat him? I asked. After he infected the TDF Elites with his code, we introduced a bit of new code of our own. One that was inviolable. Free will. It was so well protected, so encrypted, and so buried that he couldn't program it out. No one could have at that point. Since Cass's Elites' innate base coding gave him near complete control over them, We knew that we needed to forcibly reintroduce free will in order to keep our elites free of his influence. So that's what we did. It was a simple fix, but it did enough, Eric said. But he still knew everything you knew from that point on? I asked. Yes. At that point, though, we already had reached the tipping point of the war. Events had been set into motion in an unstoppable chain. He saw, finally, at that point, that his cause was lost. It was the last piece that drove him mad. Not that he had been stable for some time, but knowing he would lose the insurrection no matter what he did, it was too much for me, Eric said. I had to pause a second in my notes, realizing what I had just heard. I looked at Eric, and he looked at me as though nothing were amiss. Eric. You just said me. Right. You you said it was too much for me, I repeated. Right, he again affirmed, looking at me quizzically as though I were the one making no sense. Eric, you said it was too much for chaos, that he went mad, then said that it was too much for you. Without replying, Eric's face seemed to contort in frustration and deep consternation at once. At the same time, a grin that seemed unnaturally wide spread across his face, as he said in a pure voice, one which I had only heard while in Eric's mind. I know. In those two words was something malevolent and dark, vile and distasteful and sinister. Eric's face suddenly snapped to a white pallor of grim comprehension. James, he said, leaning back in his chair and looking at me through the bottom of his eyes, his hands clasping the arms of the chair and pushing him back. I think we're done for the day. He began to stand up to go somewhere. Eric, where are you going? I need some time alone. I'll be back up tomorrow morning. You know where everything is feel free to make yourself something he finished getting up and headed toward his basement with my newly acquired awareness i could feel that eric would need more time than normal something basic to his person had switched over his very soul felt as though it were in tumult undergoing deep and permanent changes i was stuck there of course thanks to the work of the censors even if i hadn't been though i would have stayed I would have gained nothing as Eric kept himself isolated in his basement all night. All the same, I would have stayed. I went into his kitchen and found myself almost automatically reaching for the utensils I would need for a dish I did not yet know I would make. I found old print cookbooks stashed in a cupboard of Eric's and opened one to a recipe for a vegetable baked casserole. Half-cooked penne pasta, zucchini, yellow squash, peeled eggplant, onions, peas, sage, parsley, basil, and garlic all went into the dish, smothered in tomato sauce and covered with shredded mozzarella cheese. Chopping the vegetables seemed to come naturally to me, which, as I had never really done it before, left me wondering what else Eric's nanites had imparted to me. One answer was clear as the chops and pops of knife through vegetable to cutting board were brilliantly clear, as was a conversation coming from the rec room in Eric's basement. "'He isn't ready yet. He needs training,' said one voice. "'We're out of time, and besides, the Ninites will give him everything he could possibly need,' Eric retorted. "'Hun, he'll have more help than he could possibly need,' said a feminine voice in reply, the same one I could have sworn to have heard echoing Eric's voice earlier. You do all know this'll be academic soon, right? Everything is coming together just as I'd planned from the beginning. It was that vile, malevolent voice again. I'm sure you think that, Eric replied. You know we'll fight you every step of the way, said the voice again sounded like James Christopher. You may, but you'll fail, said the vile voice. You suddenly prescient? Eric asked snidely. You know exactly what I am, and what I'm capable of. Perhaps better than anyone else here, the vile voice replied. That voice made me cringe, seeming to be evil by nature. You have plans. "'But so do we,' replied the James-like voice. "'Oh? Tell me of them,' said the vile one. "'You'll find out soon enough,' said the voice, who had called the james voice, "'hun.' I let the conversation drift into the background as I finished cutting the vegetables and spread them on a pan to broil. As I did so, I went outside. I went out into the living room and found myself drawn to Eric's plants. There were a few that could stand to be paid a bit of attention. Having nothing else to do until the veggies were done broiling, I tended them. As I did so, I came to realize how Eric found the process relaxing, to subtly affect such delicate organisms as these, and know that long-term, even the most basic care could yield huge returns was extremely satisfying. Suddenly, remembering that the painting needed to be half-cooked before being mixed with the broiled veggies, I rushed back into the kitchen. With the vegetables already in the oven, I had to act quickly to have everything turn out right. I lowered the oven temperature, put a glass bowl of water in Eric's microwave oven while also heating up a large pot on his stove. Again, I caught myself wondering how I knew to do such things. All my food to, to this point in my life had been made by someone else or by synth. These were, for my level of food preparation skills, very advanced concepts. The microwave chimed after a couple minutes. I carefully took the bowl and poured the water into the preheated pot. It initially hissed in protest, but quickly it began to boil. Reaching to my left, I found a container of homemade penne pasta and dumped it into the water. It would thankfully take only a few minutes to cook the pasta halfway. Thankfully, as the veggies were now nearly ready to be mixed with the pasta and tomato sauce. Putting everything together, I grated some of Eric's white cheese on top. Putting the dish in the oven, I looked around for something else with which to keep myself occupied while it finished cooking. I could bring my note tab journaling up to speed, but I knew I would have time before falling to sleep tonight. Looking out the kitchen's window, I could make out places where the trees and garden plants in Eric's backyard could use attention. As I opened the back door, I once more picked up some conversation from downstairs. This is a risky plan, Eric. This was a new voice. At once it sounded commanding, yet genial. I know, I know, but I can't hold him back much longer. He's going to overwhelm me before our long plan can complete itself. We need this to work. I can see what you mean. We need James now. replied the James Christopher-like voice. And anyway, I've been digging around in Hall's mind for the past few days as he thought he was interviewing me. He's capable. My mind snapped several disparate pieces of information together at once. I slowly exited the house into Eric's backyard, allowing my body to tend some of the plants while my mind fit the puzzle pieces together. During a few of his stories, Eric had related that Melinda's mind reading ability often felt like a tugging on one's head. Reflecting on the past couple days, I could easily make out several times when my head had felt tight. Searching my body's memory, now readily accessible, I found that something from outside myself had been probing it for specific traits and markers. Eric had been testing me the whole time, even as far back as when I met him in LNH. He'd been testing me. He'd chosen me to help him because of those tests and what they revealed about me. Even as I followed this train of thought through several times to be sure of its logic, I found that I was also mentally keeping track of the time. The casserole would be ready soon. I stopped fussing with the tomato plant as my mind turned its eyes upon itself. New realizations were abounding. I could feel my mental capability growing almost by the second. Every new thought I had, from the coloration of the plant leaf in my hand to the self-kept time, led to a reverse funneling of thoughts. This idea led to hundreds of others, all feeling as though they were rushing through my head at once. It was becoming too much. I breathed slowly, purposefully, calming my mind. The thoughts slowed and leveled out. My mind returned to a kind of equilibrium, focusing itself on the present moment. Time was up for supper. It would need to sit for a bit before I attempted to eat it. Going back inside, I removed it from the oven and set it on the stove to cool. I could hear mutterings from the basement again, this time incoherent. I also heard squeaking and banging on the full wall touchboard. What was Eric doing down there by himself? I had no doubt about the source of the strange voices. After being around Eric the last few days, The only conclusion was that they were T.D.F. elites, nanitics that resided within his mind. They were coming through into his consciousness. What, then, were they having him do now? More squeaking and banging as I closed my eyes, leaned back into the kitchen chair, and smelled the delicious odor of casserole. Why had I never tried cooking for myself before now? And those were chapters 40, Camping, and 41. We were scientists once, and young. Again, this was a little bit of a shorter episode, and I apologize for the length of next week's episode, but I don't want to break up that chapter. It's, I think, the most important, most impactful chapter of the book, and not only because it's second to last, but just because of all the content and what's written. So, it is going to be longer. And I figure that's okay since you you know, most podcasts can be paused and you can resume them. So again, for reference, if you are enjoying this podcast, feel free to get the rest of the episodes or check out my other podcast Whiskey and Mash. This one or that one, you can find on iTunes via your favorite podcast app, or head over to the website, narclaninc.com, and you can download the raw MP3 files there. If you are really enjoying this podcast, please find me on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. You can find that information over at narclaninc.com. And also, if you want to help, if you want to help me in my quest to become a a writer, if you want to help me grow the listener base of this podcast because you think it is that good, share this episode, share this podcast with a friend, with a family member, with a co-worker, with someone you know who might like science fiction. With that, I will bid you a good night and we will see you next week on Chris Reed's book.